to the book of Numbers, chapter 25, and verse 1. While you're turning there, as Brother Heath mentioned today, this evening, please keep Sister Sue in your prayers. And elder in your prayers I was able to talk to them this afternoon and uh, turns out the doctor did not remove her tube she removed her tube in spite of her hands being strapped to the bed rails she got it undone and she pulled it out and uh, well I wouldn't encourage too much of that because you kind of need that to breathe but uh, the doctor has not put it back in they've just given her a BiPAP machine that is giving her oxygen and uh, they've gotten some of the fluid out uh, that is around her heart but not all of it Uh, and if you don't know she is diabetic and there are a lot of extenuating issues that play into all of that. So they're trying to figure out how to get the rest of the fluid out. And it is a fine balance of medications, procedures, and so on and so forth. And she is also most likely because of that excess fluid and not being able to breathe properly, her body is retaining carbon dioxide. Um, and so she's not real clear when she speaks. Um, so please keep them in prayer. And uh, as the COVID world goes, no one can be up there except for one caregiver. Um, so um, just be praying. Be praying. Book of Numbers, chapter 25, and verse 1. And Israel abode in Chittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Verse 5. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianite-ish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Verse 16, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter 
of a prince of Midian, their sister which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. I'm going to preach tonight for just a little while. There's no plan B. There is no plan B. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, we love you. God, we love you. We love you. We love your kingdom. We love your word. We love this life. We love living for you. God, I love your presence that we feel here tonight. God, I pray that your word would not return void, but your will would be accomplished in us and through us this evening. God, we magnify your name. We give you thanks and we give you honor. We give you praise in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands tonight? In Jesus' name, there's no plan B. You can be seated. Also, a quick reminder, this next week is the first full week of December. And we had started at the beginning of 2020. Uh, there was a sign-up sheet. I realize some of you were not here for that, so... I'm taking some time so you know what's going on. Well, there was a, a sign-up sheet where we wanted every day of the week, the first week of every month, every day that week, we wanted covered with prayer and with fasting. And so we signed up for Monday through Sunday, the first week, the first full week, of every month and so that is this upcoming week so if you I, there's been a slide on the screen during pre-service announcements that is a reminder of the day that you signed up for if you were not here and did not sign up for a day and you wish to join the effort then please do so please pick a day or whatever if you have extenuating health circumstances so on and so forth. Do what you can. Do a little bit more than what you think you can. And let's watch God work. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There is no plan B. In the book of Exodus, chapter 14, we find that the children of Israel have marched out of the land of Egypt. And they have been slaves in that land for generations. It was a temporary place that God allowed them to experience favor. God allowed them to experience the multiplication of their families, the growth of their families, but it was not a place that God intended for them to stay. And so in Exodus 14, we find them leaving the land of Egypt. And we understand the story 
very well how the heart of Pharaoh was hardened again. And he pursues after the people of Israel. Pursues after Moses. In verse 10, Pharaoh drew nigh and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they saw the Egyptians that were marching toward them or marching after them, the word says, and they were sore or they were very afraid. There are times and there are moments and there are situations and there are circumstances that if we look at them simply in our physical sight and simply through the eyes of natural man, they will shake you down to your toenails. They will shake you until your shoes come untied. It will make you very afraid. And the children of Israel at first responded in the right way and cried out unto the Lord. But then they started talking to Moses. And he said, well, did you bring us out here because there weren't enough graves for us in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. This is not the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone. Imagine that. Leave us alone. We don't want to leave Egypt. But you're slaves. You're being abused. You're being taken advantage of. You're being beaten. You're being overworked. You're building someone else's kingdom. Moses looked at them and said to them, he said, fear ye not. Stand still. Stop moving around. Stop fidgeting. Stop bouncing around. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you to you today. For the Egyptians that you've seen today, those same Egyptians that made you sore afraid, those Egyptians that made you question the man of God, those Egyptians that made you question the plan of God, those same Egyptians that you saw today, you will see them again no more forever. Moses was telling them, listen, when you get in the plan of God, there's not a plan B. God didn't bring you out into the land of Egypt to destroy you but God brought you out of the world into his marvelous light to put your feet on a solid foundation God put you in the kingdom of God for such a time as this to prosper you for I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord I know the plans I have for you their thoughts to make you prosper. Their plans to make you prosper. I've given you an expected end. There's no plan B. We need to get it in our mind tonight as we close out 2020. You're going to hear me say that the rest of this month. As we close out this year, we need to understand that things happen for a reason and nothing catches God by surprise. But the Lord shall fight for you. 
and you shall hold your peace. Sometimes it's vitally important for us to come to church to worship God and then to shut our mouths. I'll say it again. It's vitally important for us to learn when to shut up and when to sit down and when to hold our peace and let God fight our battles. Because let me tell you, his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And let me tell you, in the vocabulary and in the planning book, in the playbook of God, there is no plan B. But on the first page it says victory. On the second page it says victory. On the third page it says victory. On the fourth page it says victory. On the last page it says victory. There is no plan B. No plan B. There's no option for failure. There's no option to be an overcomer and an underwhelmer. And so, we know the story. Pharaoh's on their tracks. Moses lifted his rod. The old song says, and what he did way back then. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Some of us walk into the house of God and we say, you know what? I got this insurmountable circumstance. I got this situation, pastor, that I just don't know how it's going to work out. Listen. I don't know how it's going to work out either. Okay? I don't know the answer. But I do recall the verse in the Word of God that said if I've got faith like a grain of mustard seed. Maybe in a different version it said the size of a a grain of mustard seed. But what I read said like a grain of mustard seed. You can say to that mountain, be moved and it will be cast into the sea. I'm going to tell you something. When my parents were driving through the mountains when I was a kid, I said, God, you know how fast this trip would go if we didn't have to drive through these mountains? And this old van that's swaying back and forth. And I'm looking over the guardrail and it's like 300 feet down there. Say, God, I got faith you can move that mountain. I never saw one of them jump. But I got a revelation when I read that scripture as I after had some time under my soul shoes. The, the shoes, of, what do you know what I meant? After I got some miles on my tires. Okay? That if I got faith 
like a grain of a mustard seed. You know what that tells me, Brother Venable? That, mean, that tells me that there are going to be times when somebody digs a hole and drops me into a hole and I got darkness all around me and I, got, I don't even know what way is up and they're going to pile dirt on top of me and they're going to press down on top of me and it's going to be an overwhelming darkness and at the moment, the seed of the mustard does not know which way is up but there's no plan B and the mustard says, I'm not dying here. You buried me in what you thought was a grave, but I'm coming out. So you can pile on whatever you want to pile. But when the sun begins to shine and the rain begins to fall and the conditions get right, I'm coming out. There's no plan B. We need to remove quit from our vocabulary. We need to get rid of the mindset that says I'm just going to give up and sit here and wait until God comes back. But God's called us to be prevailing Pentecostals, prevailing in worship, prevailing in prayer, prevailing in praise, prevailing in study, prevailing in fasting, prevailing in the word, prevailing in preaching. There's no other option than to prevail. There's no plan B. Numbers 25. It's right after Numbers 24. Imagine that. And in Numbers 24, we were introduced to a man by the name of Balaam who was hired by Balak. To come in and to pronounce a curse over the people of Israel. And Balaam was on his way. He was on his journey. And his donkey stopped. And he starts kicking his donkey. Listen, Jack. Listen, Jill. Let's move. Let's go. I got to go. I got a meeting. The donkey wouldn't move. To the point where this donkey, there, there seems to have been a stone wall along the path. And the donkey crushes Balaam's ankle. Now he's real mad. You could almost call him the cussing prophet. Jeremiah was a weeper. Balaam was a cusser. I don't know who I'm... And now there's an angel standing in front of him. This is one of the best Sunday school stories ever. The donkey's like, listen, dude, he's going to kill you if I don't stop. Maybe I should just let you roll off and just let him off you. I knight you, sir, dead. And so Balaam goes and he tells Balak, long story short, he tells him, listen, I can't curse them. 
I cannot do, I cannot say what God did not say. He said, I open my mouth to curse them and the only thing that comes out is blessings. Do it. I know you want me to. And it doesn't matter how much silver or how much gold you have. It just is what it is. I can't say something that's not there. He said, I'm not going to be a hireling. It's just going to tell you and do what, what you want to do. And so after Numbers 24 is Numbers 25. And now the Moabites are saying, you know what? We couldn't get Balaam to curse them. And so somebody go get that hog. And they begin to barbecue just over the hill from the camp of Israel. I thank God for the book of Acts and Peter's revelation. On the top of Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. Okay, not preaching about dietary law. But then it was wrong. And so the Moabites have the smell cranked up to 17. And the wind's blowing just right. And they bought sweet baby rays by the five-gallon bucket. And they're using brooms to baste. They're not really. This is my imagination, okay? And they got those kids and they got the handle on that spit and they're just roasting that hog and they're bathing that sucker and the smell is is reaching over the hill and now they begin to hear the sound of music and the bass is thumping just right the windows are vibrating just right and old Samuel's tent flap is vibrating with the beat. And it flips open and he smells the, the cookout with Craig. And before long, those young men say, man, that smells good. That smells like, not just the promised land, that smells like dreamland. Should have preached this in Alabama. And they get up to the top of that hill and they see that it's not just a cookout. It's a party. And they hear the music. They smell the food. But then they start seeing those young ladies come out scantily dressed. Or not at all. And they see it with their eyes and they smell it with their nose and they hear it with their ears. And what Balak could not get Balaam to curse, then they give in to their sensuality and they give in to the lust of their flesh and the lust of their eyes and the pride of their lives. And they go after that which is not godly, that which is not holy, that which is not pure that which is not kingdom based and they began the bible says to commit boredom with the daughters of moab and so where the curse of their enemy could not affect them 
sinning with those same enemies prove to be their undoing. And what hell tried to speak into you, but you had enough Holy Ghost to block it. And the sound of the preacher overwhelmed the sound of the world. Now you get a taste and now you get a smell and now you look at just the wrong thing and it begins to unravel and it begins to come apart at the seams. And Moses looks at his judges and he said, slay you everyone. He said, we got to take action against this. He looks at the rulers and he said, listen guys, we got to stop it where it starts. They're in Baal Peor and they are there in the place and they're worshiping Baal. Uh, this select group of young men uh, they're worshiping Baal in the place of Peor they're worshiping the Canaanite false god of fertility imagine with me Don't maybe not don't imagine how that worship goes there's a reason the Bible uses the language that it does and Moses said we've got to cut it off we've got to stop it before long one of those young men brings a princess of the Moabites into the camp. And Phineas, grandson of Aaron the priest, sees it. And the elders are in the house of God and they're weeping before the door of the congregation. God, where'd we go wrong? God, we thought they were stronger than that. And then, here they come, the pair of them. And Phineas, who is of that same generation, is looking at his peers who are falling away. And there is a righteous indignation that begins to well inside the soul of Phineas to the point where he gets up from the weeping and he grabs a spear off the ground and he rushes after. He rushes after his friend who is falling, his friend who is operating in plan B. And he puts an end to it in the, the most gruesome of ways. And he goes after, he thrusts them both through, and the Lord spake in verse 16, but by the very act of Phineas, between verse 8 and verse 16, what Moses thought was, was needed was the wiping out of the entire generation. 
the wiping out of everyone. But Phineas said, no, I'm just going to take care of this right here and right now. I will not allow that into my home. I will not allow that into my neighborhood. I know I love you. I love you. I love you. But listen, I, there's no plan B. I'm not, I'm not going to allow it into my home. I'm not going to allow it into my camp. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to take action. This is more than belief, but belief leads to action. And when Phineas does what he does, everything is halted. You know, sometimes it doesn't take an elder to just sit in the gate or to sit in the door of the church and pray. But sometimes what's needed is a young person to say, you know what? I've prayed and now I'm taking action. I'm, I've prayed and now it's time to take what I got in prayer. It's time to take what I learned from Moses. It's time to take what I learned from Eliezer. It's time to take what I learned from Aaron. And it's time to put it into action. And from this one action of Phineas, God looks at Phineas and he says, you know what? Now we're going to establish the ironic, the priesthood of the sons of Aaron from this day forward. It didn't start with Aaron. It started because of Phineas. It started because there was a young man who said there's no plan B. I'm not going back. I'm moving forward. I know, Pastor, it looks like everybody else doesn't want to live for God, but I want to live for God. I know in 2020, young people are losing their minds. Everybody's losing their mind. But pastor, I'm here to tell you, there's no plan B in my heart or in my mind. I'm not backing up. I'm not backing down. And against all odds, I'm living for God. God told Moses, he said, now, vex the Midianites and smite them for they vex you with their wiles they've beguiled you in the matter of Peor in the matter of Cosby who was the young lady who of Midian who came in she was slain in the day of the plague Peor's sake he said, now, at first, they vexed you. They bound you. They tied you up. They restricted you. They cramped you. They put you in a narrow place. You suffered distress. The meaning says specifically of travail. They vexed you. Now it's time to turn the tables. Now it's time because I know that it's not just an elderly gospel. 
because I know that it's not just the heartbeat of Moses and Aaron and the judges because I know that it's not even the second generation only with them but because I know that there's a group of young men and young ladies that said I'm not gonna bow I'm not gonna take a knee I'm not gonna back off there's no plan B in my heart I'm going to vex the enemy of my soul I'm gonna do it with prayer I'm gonna do it through travail I'm going to do it through worship I'm going to do it through becoming the child of God that I can be. Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Listen, if you're under the sound of my voice tonight, you need a revelation that God is for you. That God is for you and God is for you. That you can have a relationship with God. That God wants a relationship with you. No matter where you are in life. No matter where you are morally. No matter where you are physically. God wants you. And God wants to see you prevail. There's no plan B in God's book for you. This I know. My enemies are going to turn back. And I know this. Why? Because God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God will I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. There is no plan B because God is for me. Pastor, I've fallen. Pastor, I messed up. Psalm 136 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. That chapter of Psalm 136 is 26 verses long. And every single verse ends with those words. For his mercy endureth forever. Say, so, well, pastor, God's been angry with me. And that may be the case. But the Bible says that his anger endures. But for just a short moment. But his mercy endureth forever. I said, his, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. His mercy endureth forever. You need to get the plan B out of your vocabulary. There's no plan B. Give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. He stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, 
for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. But we just read, they didn't even want to leave Egypt after they saw the hardship, after they saw the faith requirements. But his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever to him which divided the Red Sea into parts for his mercy endureth forever and made Israel to pass through the midst of it for his mercy endureth forever it's like a call and response it's like when the preacher's preaching and the organ starts hooping when the organ starts his mercy endureth forever he smote fair his mercy endureth forever but overthrew Pharaoh and the host in the Red Sea for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an inheritance for his mercy endureth forever. Even inheritance unto Israel his servant. For his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate. For his mercy endureth forever. Who hath redeemed us from our enemies. For his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh. For his mercy endureth forever. Oh give thanks unto the God of heaven. For his mercy endureth forever so if you've fallen his mercy endureth forever why don't you just go ahead and try to find the end of his mercy why don't you jump back into the presence of God and bring your mistakes to the feet of the cross and say, okay, God, I'm about to try you. I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. I tried this. I went here. But his mercy. There's no plan B. God wants you. And he wants you to be more than a bump on a log. He wants you to do more than just occupy space. He wants you to be an overcomer. There's no plan B. It was early in the morning. Of October 25th, the year 1944, when a small United States escort carrier group found themselves under attack in World War II, Pacific Seas, by a much larger Japanese fleet. Six small escort aircraft carriers protected by three destroyers and four smaller destroyer escorts. A total of 13 small ships faced four 
Japanese battleships, eight cruisers, 11 destroyers. If that doesn't make you sore afraid, they called destroyers. 23 large enemy ships. One of the United States small destroyers, the USS Johnston, with the mindset of a captain who it is believed had been when he was just a sailor. He had been on another vessel who had surrendered in battle. And he's vowed, I'm never living through that again. A large part of their other party has moved up because they've gotten a, a report that would turn out to be false of another Japanese group of ships. And now through the fog, they see these 23 Japanese vessels. And the USS Johnston begins to pour more fuel to its three engines. And it begins to take a direct course toward the largest of those Japanese vessels and it begins to weave in and out with fog devices, smoke screen devices. It begins to weave in and out, ducking in and under those Japanese vessels and lays down a smoke screen. This United States escort carrier group was nicknamed the Taffy Three. It had been providing support for the Allied landing forces on Leyte Island in the Philippines, where Douglas MacArthur had waded ashore and proclaimed, I have returned. There are two other smaller, or I'm sorry, two other similar groups, the Taffy 1 and the Taffy 2, that were in the region, but they were only aircraft escort car carriers. And so the main United States Force, Admiral Halsey's third fleet with its battleships and large fleet aircraft carriers had been decoyed away to the north. In comparison, the fleet carriers carrying 100 planes weighing 34,000 tons and the escort carriers had less than 30 aircraft and weighed 7,000 to 10,000 tons. These Japanese ships, codenamed the Center Force, were thought to have been beaten in earlier actions, but they had turned about and broken out through the San Bernardino Strait in the middle of the Philippine archipelago. With Halsey harmlessly chasing a decoy force, now the Japanese admiral intends to head due south past the island of Samar to disrupt the Allied beachhead forces. Among his four battleships was Yamoto, the largest battleship afloat at the time. It displaced 65,000 tons by itself with nine 18.1 inch guns. The Yamato 
by itself weighed more than all of Taffy Three's ships combined. The USS Johnston, in comparison to the 18.1-inch gun, the USS Johnston's largest gun was a mere five inches. Shot a five-inch projectile. After ten minutes of laying this protective smoke screen, while long-range enemy shell fire began to collapse and fall among the characters, carriers the first japanese ships came within extreme range of johnston's five inch guns at 10 after 7 in the morning the johnston began firing back it was close enough that mr evans the captain of the johnston said even the Japanese can't miss at this range. She began firing back, and as shells from the cruisers began bracketing the destroyer, the Johnston's commander, Ernest Evans, ordered a full maximum speed toward the enemy, intending to get within torpedo range. To the onlookers, they would believe that this man has lost his mind. He goes out over his radio as they first saw that fleet appear. And he tells his men aboard the Johnston, he says, likely it's a suicide mission. But if we can get them slowed down until help gets here, we'll turn the tide of the war. Full maximum speed toward the enemy. Five minutes later, the 2,700-ton Johnston, zigzagging at maximum speed, started firing upon the 13,500-ton heavy cruiser Kumano. As she slowly closed the gap, Johnston fired over 200 shells and managed to hit the Kumano 40 five times setting fires in her superstructure as the Johnston began to continue her run Admiral Sprague aboard another escort carrier issued the command small boys attack the other two destroyers along with the 1,350 ton destroyer escort the Samuel B. Roberts started their own torpedo runs while aircraft from the escort carriers began attacking the Japanese ships. At the extreme range of about five miles, Johnston fired her full complement of ten torpedoes before turning back into her own smoke. The Kamano's bow was blown off by two or three torpedoes the battleship congo had to break off its attack to avoid three more torpedoes but not before getting hit by johnston's three 14 inch shells three six inch shells possibly from the battleship yamato struck the destroyer's bridge the ferocity of the United States attack, however, had sown so much confusion into the Japanese that they thought they were under attack 
from cruiser ships, which were much larger. It was so fierce and so unpredictable that the enemy thought it was fighting a different enemy. The hits on the Johnston knocked out her steering engine and power to the three aft five-inch guns. There was a sudden rain squall that gave her cover, allowing her crew to make emergency repairs. They managed to get two of those guns working again, but the Johnston's speed was cut in half. While still hidden in the storm, her crew began firing 30 shells at a destroyer five miles away, and then at an approaching cruiser. Although she had no torpedoes left, Commander Evans, now missing the fingers on his left hand, as a result of the shells hitting the bridge, ordered Johnston to support the other ships making their torpedo runs. Despite their problems, despite the fire control systems operating at damaged capacity, Johnston manages to land uh, hits on a 15,000-ton heavy cruiser and landed 15 hits on the 37,000-ton battleship Congo's superstructure before reversing back into the rain and the smoke. By 8.30 in the morning, Japanese cruisers were attacking other ships and the Johnson was engaged for another 10 minutes. In a section called Crossing the T, seven Japanese destroyers approach the escort carriers and Johnston intercepts them by crossing the T. It's a nautical maneuver where enemy ships were in line, one behind another, leaving only the front guns of the lead ships to face Johnston's broadside. Johnston, though also being shelled, scores a dozen hits on the closest destroyer, which turns away. The next destroyer takes five hits before turning aside. And then the entire enemy destroyer squadron turns around. Did you hear what I said? They're in line. They're a force to be reckoned with. One of their ships has more mass and capacity than the entire group of the American ships. But among them is this commander that says, I will not back down. He's crippled, but still in action. They take many more hits, exchanging fire with four cruisers and several destroyers. The forward turret was knocked out, and then the bridge was destroyed. Their radio communications are destroyed. Their ability to steer the boat mechanically is destroyed. By this point, Commander Evans has got a hatch open and he's yelling commands down to men who are turning the rudder of the Johnston manually. Yet, they're not backing down. Why? 
Because there's no plan B. By 9.40 that morning, enemy fire had finally knocked out the remaining engine. Johnston was dead in the water. The crew knew they didn't stand a chance, but they continued to fire with every remaining gun. Every minute the enemy was tied down by them gave the carriers that they were escorting that much of a lead. And so instead of chasing after the escort carriers, the Japanese circles the Johnston. At 9.45, Evans gives the order to abandon ship. It's said that as the Japanese focused their attention on Commander Evans and his boat, it's going down. Those Japanese commanders step out to the rail and salute Commander Evans' boat in a sign of respect. You are my enemy, but you have got the guts. And you have got the backbone. And you've got the fortitude that is the American spirit. Taffy 3 lost two destroyers. One destroyer escort. Two escort carriers. One of those escort carriers was a victim. It was the first kamikaze attack of the war. And that escort was its victim. 23 aircraft were lost. Three escort carriers, one destroyer, two destroyer escorts were damaged. But only one escort carrier and one escort destroyer remained near their full strength. The Japanese Admiral Kurita, convinced by the enemy's fierce attacks that he was engaging a much larger force finally orders his ships to regroup and withdraw his surviving ships eventually made it back to japan ports where they ceased to be a threat for the rest of world war ii three of his heavy cruisers were sunk three other heavy cruisers and a destroyer were damaged. Their fleet, the fleet of Taffy 3, almost wiped out, but the ferocity with which they stood their ground caused the enemy to be confused. Like Gideon's 300, with the help of God, created confusion, chaos, and brought victory. But someone had to be willing to engage. Someone had to be willing to rip out the rest of the playbook pages. Someone had to be willing to get it in their crawl to say, you know what? No matter the odds, I'm not backing down. I'm not backing off. I'm not 
turning around and tucking tail. I already mentioned it, but it's said that Commander Evans had previously been on a ship on another vessel that was commanded to retreat from battle. They say it was a feeling he never forgot. And so as he is standing there next to the rail in the, in the bay, in the port, and they're christening the USS Johnston into commission, he looks at those Navy men who are aboard that ship he looks at the crowd. He grabs the microphone and he says, This is going to be a fighting ship. I intend to go into harm's way. And anyone who doesn't want to go along had better get off right now. He added, I will never again retreat from an enemy force. As a result of the action of Taffy 3, they received a presidential unit citation. The skipper of USS Johnston was posthumously, or after his death, awarded the Medal of Honor. You see, there's a, a spirit that needs to get a hold of the church, just like the spirit and the mindset and the attitude that had gotten a hold of Commander Ernest E. Evans, who said, you know what? We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places let me tell you church you've got more power in this world than you realize you've got more power in your prayer than your understanding right now wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God stand therefore have your feet shod have your loins skirt get your shield of faith therewith you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints let me preach to you tonight it's time to stand it's time to push it's time to win it's time to go full steam ahead Jude verse 20 but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost he said I'm not looking for faith that's tainted with doubt I'm not looking for faith that's tainted with worldliness. I'm not looking for faith uh, that's tainted with, with half-hearted habits. But I'm looking for your most holy 
faith. I'm looking for somebody that's just crawled out of a prayer closet. I'm looking for somebody that's got the smell of the anointing of the Holy Ghost dripping off of them like Aaron's garment that had been anointed. I'm looking for somebody that's got a relationship and has got a grip upon an altar. I'm looking for somebody that's not just standing by an altar but that got their hands wrapped around it. I'm looking for somebody that's full of faith. I'm looking for somebody who's been praying until they start praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm looking for somebody that God's ready to use. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion making a difference. In other words, you're going to win some souls because you got compassion on them. But there's going to be others that are saved with fear. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Midst of compromise. Midst of ungodliness. Don't lose your optimism. you got to be willing to help save those who need help. Verse 24, as we stand. Say, Pastor, I just don't know if I've got the guts. I just don't know if I've got the stomach for it. The kingdom of God can get messy. Winning souls can get messy. Driving buses can get messy. Teaching Sunday school can get messy. Teaching youth class can get messy. And and you can tell what some homes are like just by being around the kids. The things of the world carry a certain smell. There were some of those kids I was loving on this morning that I don't know how they can breathe in their houses. And I'm not saying that to, as, a, as a funny remark. I really don't. I really don't. I don't have any idea. But pastor, how are we going to push through all of that? Because verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to do what? To keep you from falling. Pastor, I just don't know. I get tripped up sometimes. I've messed up. I make mistakes. But to him that is able to keep you from falling. There's no plan B. He's got a plan to help you, to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. I wonder if I got anybody in this house today that says, you know what? He's got the power to keep me from falling he's got the ability and I'm going to take my chances and I'm going to rip out the pages of plan B of plan C I'm not going back I'm getting back in I'm moving forward
there's no plan B. Get that idea out of your head. He's able to redeem. He's able to regenerate. He's able to restore. Come on, you can take on that enemy. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, I'm an overcomer. When's the last time you have you tasted the, the taste of victory? This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how I fight my battles.